And now it's the Saturday Morning Jukebox Legend Spotlight. She looked at me And the emptiness in her eyes was cruel to see Russell and Rick Hickman with you again, and we have a long-awaited treat for you. We are joined by a pair of songwriters whose body of work is second to none. They have been together for over five decades, both musically and romantically. They've been inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame and are recipients of the famed Johnny Mercer Award. They are Oscar and Golden Globe nominees and Emmy Award winners. If there was a musical Mount Rushmore, their likenesses would be most prominent. (laughs) The list of accolades is so extensive that we could go on and on. But what's truly meaningful is that they have brought joy to countless millions of music lovers all over the globe, and their work continues to do so every day of every year and will for time immemorial. Their work has been so prolific that if you are listening to anything but the Hallelujah Chorus, they probably wrote it. We welcome <laughs> into the legend spotlight Barry Mann and Cynthia Weil. Wow, that was an intro to live up to. <laughs> we better start writing again a lot. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Barry and Cynthia, it only makes sense to begin at the start, and of course the beginning for you would be when you first met. Was this a workplace meeting, or had you met prior to punching a clock as songwriters? We met when um, I was writing with a singer-songwriter named Teddy Randazzo, and uh, Barry came up to play him a song. For me, it was love at first sight. For him, it took a little (laughs) longer, but um, I asked the receptionist there, how I could see him again, and she said, well, he signed to a friend of mine named Don Kirshner. Why don't you go up there, and I'll set it up so you can show Donnie your lyrics. It's called Olden Music. And so um, I stalked him and followed him up there. <laughs> I didn't have a chance. When for most of us, starting a new job means that we created a resume, we had a job interview, and somebody elected to hire us. How in the world does one get selected to work as a songwriter, especially in a situation such as Alden Music and the now historic Brill Building? Well, you know, I was knocking around for about a year and a half. When I say knocking around, it really wasn't. uh, It wasn't that hard for me to, to get myself going. I had a hit before I signed with all the music. I had a hit by the Diamonds. It was a song called She Say Um Doobie Doom. And then I bumped into a friend of mine named Jack Keller. And Jack told me that he was signed to this publishing company called All the Music, run by Don Kirshner and Al Nevins. And he told me he was getting an advance of $200 a week, which I thought, wow, that is incredible. Because I wanted to have a job that felt like you get paid, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you don't have to go up and try to get an advance. So I went up there, and I played my songs. Kirshner loved them, and he signed me. That's how it got going. I mean, he, Kirshner was a, a terrific publisher. I don't think there was anyone better than Kirshner. Hmm. And uh, he was wonderful. Barry, now you were a singer and also a songwriter. When you first started this out, got got into this crazy business, was your vision of yourself, hey, I'm going to be the next boy singer, or did you think you were going to do both of them right from the start? I thought I'd probably be boy singer. Boy writer singer. <laughs> yeah, boy writer singer. Uh-huh. Yeah, the, the writing, of course, is very important. And so I I had a record out, I had, in fact, a few records out, until I was on ABC Paramount, and the second... So the second record I released was Who Put the Bomb in the Bomb, Bomb, Bomb. Um, and, he uh, went from She Say Um to Be Doom to Who Put the I didn't learn how to speak until <laughs> afterwards. I'd like to thank the guy who wrote the song that made my baby fall in love with me. Who put the bomb 
bop in the bop 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 who put the rhyme in the ramalama ding dong who put the bop in the bop shabop shabop who put the dip in the dip 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 who was that man i'd like to shake his hand he made my baby fall in love with me when my baby heard Every word went right into her heart And when she heard them singing Ram-a-lam-a-lam-a-lam-a-ding-dong She said we'd never have to part So who put the bop in the bop a bop a bop Who put the rhyme in the ram a lam a ding dong Who put the bop in the bop shoo bop shoo bop Who put the dip in the dip de dip de dip Who was that man? We got to get out of this place. Cynthia and I wrote it, and I cut a great demo. And at that point, I was on Redbird Records, which was a label of Lieber and Stolas. And George Goldner was running the label, and he loved my demo. And he was about to put it out. It was ready to go out. And Don Kirshner called Cynthia and I up to his office to tell us something. And uh, it sounded important, so we went up there. And he told us that the animals cut the song, and it's number two in England. Already. In this sturdy old part of the city Where the sun refused to shine People tell me there ain't no use in trying Now my girl, you're so young and pretty And one thing I know is true You'll be dead before your time is due
it too. So it was good news and bad news. It was, it was bad news because uh, I couldn't put my record out because they're going to want to release it in the United States. Mm-hmm. So I had to hold back on the record. The good news was that the animals cut it. And it, was, it came to hit, and as a matter of fact, it became the anthem for the Vietnam War. Whether as individuals or collaborators, Barry Mann and Cynthia Weil certainly showed how they could stretch their individual talents when you go from who put the bump, bump, bump to we gotta get out of this place. They certainly showed what a powerhouse songwriting team they were. And what about the songwriters they competed against and worked alongside? We'll have a chance to study that next as we come back with more of the Legend Spotlight. And here's just another small sampling of their incredible, eclectic work. Blame it on the bussa nova with its magic spell. Blame it on the bussa nova that it did so well. Here you come again. Just when I'm about to make it work without you. Welcome back to the Saturday Morning Jukebox Legend Spotlight. building we talked about that a little bit and i've been so fascinated i've always wanted to talk to somebody associated with that and you know there's so many conceptions and misconceptions about what that exactly was some people think of it as a kind of a hit factory where people just went to work and punched a clock and wrote songs but you guys were actually a part of that knew about that we actually were not in the brill building we were in the sister building to the brill building which was 1650 broadway okay and the Brill Building had the older, more established publishers, and 1650 had the young upstarts because the rent was cheaper. <laughs> Although we're called the Brill Building writers, we would only go up there when we were visiting Lieber and Stoller or somebody who had an office there. <laughs> I never thought of it as a hit fact. I thought of it as a school mm. for songwriters. And, and that's what it really was. When we were with all the music, the other married writing team was Carol King and Jerry Goffin. Then there were a bunch of other writers up there. Jack Heller was a writer up there. And we learned from each other. And Kirsten would tell us which artists were up to record. And so everybody would go to their little cubicles that were part of the office, or we'd go home and we'd try to write for that artist. And uh, we'd all be very, very competitive, especially Cynthia and I were very competitive with Carol and Jerry, mm-hmm. and they were very competitive with us. By the way, at the same time, though, we became really good friends, so it became a very uh, schizophrenic relationship <laughs> because uh, we loved them, and if they got the record and we didn't, we hated them. <laughs> and the same thing happened with, with us. If we got the record, they hated us. Hate is a little bit strong, but that's the picture. You know, there is a show that's a, a smash show on uh, Broadway now and also touring and also in London called Beautiful Carol Beautiful King, sure. King Musical. It kind of tells the story of us and Carol and yeah, Jerry. Yeah, right. And I know there's discussions about turning it into a big screen movie, right? Oh, it is. It's yes. Be, yeah. yeah. Tom Hanks' company is, uh, is going to be doing it. 
getting back to the Brill Building, um, although we weren't there, I just want to tell you about a book that I wrote, which was a young adult novel that actually takes place in the Brill Building. Well, well I'm glad I did. Oh, okay. And it's the story of a young girl um, who gets a job as kind of a, a gopher at um, an, an older music-type publishing company and gets involved with a number of people, uh, solves a murder, and it's been doing really well. You know, you mentioned Goffin and King, and, and I know that, uh, Barry, you worked with Jerry Goffin a bit, and you wrote a song called Kicks, you uh, you guys did. We were talking with oh, Mark Lindsay. Mark Lindsay. Uh, yeah, about that, the, the Paul Revere and the Raiders cut it. And he says, you know, on one side, you got this kind of bouncy song that sounds like, you know, hey, it's just a fun time song, and there certainly was some aspect to that, but it had a very deeper meaning. I guess Jerry was going through some, some drug problems, and, and maybe that was a way to kind of reach out and send a message to him. Is that how that kind of We'll tell folks a little later on exactly how they can reach your website so that they can determine all of this information. Always have a chance to join you on Twitter to keep up with all of your exploits as well. For the benefit of our audience, I know that some people have the feeling that songwriters might be walking through Central Park. You're walking down the street of a major urban city and bam, all of a sudden inspiration just strikes from the heavens. But really, where does the inspiration sometimes come from? It comes from the phone call that says... We need a song. <laughs> Sometimes. I mean, I, I don't think that was that happened all the time. There were times I just sat down and wrote a song. When we wrote on Broadway, I think we thought of giving it to the cookies afterwards, didn't we? I don't actually remember. <laughs> <laughs> I remember which way. <laughs> they say the neon lights are bright on Broadway. On When you're walking 
there, there are times, like Cynthia, you wrote Uptown because you saw her. Why don't you tell the story? Because, you know. Yeah, I saw an African-American guy who actually looked like an African prince pushing one of those carts with dresses on it down in the garment district. And that inspired a song called Uptown, mm. which is about a, a guy who is one person when he's down at work and another person when he's uptown. He gets up each morning and he goes downtown Where everyone's his boys and he's lost in an angry land He's a little man But then he comes uptown each evening to my certainly one of my all-time favorites and you know in talking about things like that was there ever a time that you heard a song once it was fully produced that it even surprised you how amazing it was oh of course you've lost that loving feeling yes mm. you know mm. but at first i thought that uh <laughs> when phil spec to play this for us over the phone you know it sounded <laughs> you know bill medley did that very low voice right and when we had written it and rehearsed it with him he wasn't that low so when he played it for us over the phone, I started screaming, you got it on the wrong speed. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, we know we you're know one of us when you laugh at that because kids now don't even know about <laughs> right. the beat. They don't know about records. They don't know exactly. about these sides. Yeah. That uh, completely makes sense. And of course, that song, You've Lost That Love and Feeling, nothing much ever happened to that, did it? <laughs> <laughs> it only became the most played song of the last century. The Song yeah. of the yeah. Century by BMI. What an accolade. Yeah, that, that was pretty pretty incredible. Now, you wrote that with the Righteous Brothers specifically in mind, right? Yes. Yes, Phil had played us two local records of theirs. Little Latin Loopy Lou. And My Babe, mm. that Phil had written. For some reason, Barry got the idea they should be doing a ballad. And we loved the Baby, I need your loving. That was our kind of inspiration to write. You know, you've lost that love and feeling. Yeah, sound good. <laughs> you always have. You never close your eyes anymore when I kiss your lips. And there's no tenderness like grief in your fingertips. You're trying hard not to show it. But baby, baby, I know it. You lost that love and feeling. Oh, that love and feeling. You lost that love and feeling. Now it's gone, gone, gone. Oh, now there's no. Oh, 
I'd get down on my knees for you If you would only love me Like you used to do yeah. We had a love, a love A love you don't find every day And it, it almost seemed like you might have been attracted to those particular duos or artists or groups that had terrific harmonies. Yeah, harmony and, and soul. Mm. I mean, Bobby and Billy just were just had so much soul. That, that really helped. And clearly our very special musical guest today, Barry Mann and Cynthia Weil had a tremendous amount of soul and incredible talent. And we'll find out just how much more when we return. John Russell and Rick Hickman with you here on the Saturday Morning Jukebox. Classic Hits 98.3 WLCS. And streaming live at 98.3 WLCS.com. Nothing moves my soul like the sound of a good old rock and roll lullaby. Man, she's looking through the eyes of love. Looking through the eyes of love. Looking through the eyes of love when she looks at Welcome back to the Saturday Morning Jukebox Legend Spotlight. Continue our legend spotlight interview with the incomparable Barry Mann and Cynthia Weil. How do you keep from writing the same song all the time? I think you know what I mean. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, you can get in a pattern where, boy, this song sounds a lot like that other song, and this song sounds like. <laughs> well, there are, you know, it depends. Each artist has their own personality, so mm. you have to write for that personality. So when you do that, you write a different kind of song for each one. That'd be good, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> I just tell the truth. <laughs> 
And, you know, taking you back to the Alden music days for just a bit, I remember hearing a fascinating interview with Paul Anka once where he now bemoaned the fact that a CD these days might take two to three years to complete. And he had mentioned that during the Brill years that someone might have an idea that morning and the truck was backing up to the back door for the pressed vinyl copies that night. So if you really had inspiration, boom, you could have a hit in a week. Yeah, it was kind of instant gratification, which was great because we were impatient kids. <laughs> Another song that, that, that you had that has kind of that double meaning was Only in America. I'd heard that you'd really written that for the Drifters at first, and it was kind of a more of a sarcastic. I mean, here's this bouncy song that sounds, again, that, hey, everything's great, America's fantastic, hey, it's good to be young and be an American and everything can happen. But you kind of wrote it at a, at a darker angle a little bit, didn't you? Jerry felt that if the Drifters sang it, people ah. would realize that it was tongue-in-cheek. Okay. Irony. Okay. That it was ironic, but it seems that they didn't realize that. They just thought it was a lie. <laughs> Only in America can a guy from anywhere go to sleep a pauper and wake up a millionaire. Only in America can a kid without a cent get a break and maybe grow up to be friends. Giant step and reach right up and touch the stars in America. Would a dream like this come true? Would a guy like me start with nothing and end up with you? Right. Could yeah. never happen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you talk about those times, obviously from the late 50s, very early 60s, when you came out with Who Put the Bomp and the beginning of your songwriting collaboration. Certainly the 60s was a decade that saw such an amazing evolution this, in this country, and clearly it had an effect on your songwriting as well. Absolutely. I think that we were very much a product of the times. I had gone to a very crazy liberal little high school, private high school in, in New York, and everybody was listening to Pete Seeger and Woody Guthrie. Weavers. I always felt that songs could be more than I love you, you love me. And so we kind of wove that into some of our work. You know, we've talked to artists who all of a sudden said, you know, we're around when the, when the Beatles hit, and all of a sudden that, that was their big inspiration. Some people even said it was like Friday, the world was in black and white, and Monday after the Ed Sullivan Show, the world was in color. And I think it's Tommy James or somebody said that to us. But from a songwriter perspective, did you realize when, when the Beatles came on, I mean, obviously they were career killers for a lot of folks. Talk to us about that time, and did you have to adapt to a different style, or how did that all work for you guys? We were worried about it, but the truth is, we ended up writing a bunch of hits during that period. I mean, we were, you've lost a love and feeling, even mm-hmm. after the Beatles, you know, hit. And uh, Soul and Inspiration we wrote afterwards. We Kicks and Hungry we wrote afterwards. And as far as adapting, the only thing I realized is that not only the Beatles, after the Beatles made it, there were a lot of other English groups that were very guitar-oriented. Mm-hmm. Since I didn't play guitar, I tried to come up with figures on the piano that were guitar figures. That was the only way I tried to adapt. 
you've written together, you've written a part. I mean, talk to us a little bit about the you guys writing together. Yes, Barry. Barry's the music and I'm the words. Yeah, 99 and 9 tenths of the time. Obviously, one of your successes is having such a diversity of hits when you talk about the fact that you're able to write for a Dolly Parton or the Monkees, when you can write for the Drifters or Andy Williams. I guess the one truism that's always going to be true is that if you write a good song, it will be a good song. And it sounds like you just always stayed very true to yourselves. Yeah, but also taking into consideration the artists themselves, too, mm. uh, the kind of kind of artists that they were. But we did. Yeah, we did just true to ourselves. And if we somehow wrote a song that wasn't, that we weren't true to ourselves, you could hear it, so forget that. You know, as we were writing, we were learning. The more we wrote, the better we became, and the truer to ourselves we became. One of the nuances was the fact that you evolved into doing a lot of music for film. How was that process different than writing pop hits? Usually in a film, it's more like writing for theater, in that when you're writing for a film, if it's not just a title song, if it's a song score, such as American Tale or Muppets Treasure Island, the songs move the story as well as serve as a musical respite from the dialogue. In terms of getting paid for what you do, going back to your time with Don Kirshner, was it, did you just cut a deal with him and he paid you a salary or did you get a you know, percentage of the song? How did that all work for you guys? We uh, got a guarantee. Okay. And then it was, well, he's went against the guarantee. Ah. For the first two years, he, he gave us a salary, which I guess was a guarantee. Was a guarantee. Yeah, I got, because it went against Yeah, it went against something. It wasn't just we got yeah. paid and that was yeah, it. Yeah, that's true. And I know one of the reasons you wanted to ask that question, John, is because we've talked to so many famous artists that had very difficult times getting the monies deserved. Was it ever that way for songwriters, too, or was that less of a hassle? It wasn't a hassle for us. It wasn't for us, but I'm sure for other songwriters yeah. dealing with shady publishers, it was. Yeah, I'm sure. You wrote with people in mind. I, the question I had, it doesn't necessarily apply to you guys, is the luck of who records your song. I mean, if you got a song and it goes in the you know the big pool and all of a sudden Harold Schmedlap, who's just starting out, records your song, I mean, it, the chances are if Elvis Presley doesn't record it, it's not going to get the, the kind of airplay. You know, actually, many of our songs that turned into hits were first-time artists. So uh, like more one. important than who was recording it was who was producing it. The record company excited about it. Yeah, like, like just once, you know, made Jane Ingram, James Ingram a star with a pretty good producer named Quincy Jones. <laughs> yeah, he's done okay for himself. I did my best, but I guess my best wasn't good enough. Cause here we are back where we were before Seems nothing ever changes We're back to being strangers Wondering if we ought to stay Or head on out the door Just one worked with Phil Spector. Who were some of the other greats that you really respected? Phil Ramone. Phil Ramone, yeah. Richard, Richard Perry. Yes, yeah. absolutely, yeah. Richard Perry. David Foster. Oh, oh David man. Foster, sure. Yeah. Um, uh, Walter Athanasius. Do you know Walter? We don't. No. No. Oh, Walter, he's like a... He, he went on and produced a whole bunch of the Mariah Carey records. Yeah. Oh, wow. Some Actually, other... Lionel Richie, who <laughs> produced the records that I did with him. How about uh, Babyface? Babyface. Oh, right. sure. Oh, wow. He's yeah, got an amazing great, career. Great producer. Man, all this stuff is, is really great. In your versatility, I mean, obviously you wrote pop songs, and uh, but also, you know, country songs, or Leroy Van Dyke, Dolly Parton, uh, as you get into the show tunes. So, you know, the, just the versatility of what you guys have done have, have been, uh, you know, wonderful. And I got to think that it's got to be a, a tribute as well to you guys, make you feel good, that if somebody like Dolly Parton, who writes a lot of her own stuff, 
stuff. All of a sudden, yeah. she says, "Hey, I got to sing this song by by these folks." Yeah, I mean, it was it was amazing. Uh, I mean, the song is really not a country song, really a pop song. She ended up having a hit. Matter of fact, it was the her first million selling mm. uh, uh, record that she had, and uh, she's very gracious about that too. You uh, Barry understand do uh, photography now. I mean, are you still yeah. in the music business, or or have you branched yeah. off into the other things? Yeah, you know we're. we're not the way we were, of course. Right. Once in a while, we'll uh, we'll dabble, you know. Or someone will call us and ask for something, and yeah. we'll do it. And some there's a Darling Love. Steve Van Zandt gave us a call. You know, he was producing Darling Love, and so we uh, ended up writing a song for her album. With the music changing constantly. I mean, uh, you know, like today's music. Some folks in in our generation, and y'all say, "Man, the stuff today is just so <laughs> so different than than you know the when, when you guys were really hit." Yeah. What's your feelings uh, on the the changes in music? I think it's always evolving and it's always changing, and mm-hmm. it's uh, you know I don't want to be one of those old sports who <laughs> sits around and says, "Man, I hate everything today," right. because there's there's always good music to be found, right. and we had our share of bad music. Too. <laughs> there are some things that I don't naturally gravitate to and others that I do. I mean, I think Taylor Swift is a wonderful little pop writer. And Taylor Swift can certainly hang a statement like that on her mantle as high accolades indeed, coming from one of the finest songwriting duos of all time, Barry Mann and Cynthia Wilde. And we'll come back to wrap up our discussion with this phenomenal duo here on the Legend Spotlight, the Saturday morning jukebox. But nothing can change the shape of Saturday night and the moon is Who cares what picture you see When you're hooking with your baby Let's roll in the balcony Welcome back to the Saturday Morning Jukebox Legend Spotlight. She'll be kind of shy and real good looking too. And I'll be certain she's my girl by the things she'll Rick Hickman here for our last chapter in our discussion with Cynthia Weil and Barry Mann. You know, you mentioned Phil Spector, and certainly the stories around him are are legendary. We had been working with Denny Tedesco, who uh, did a movie on the Wrecking Crew and that Los Angeles yeah, group, I love and that. had some fantastic stories about Phil Spector. What was it like working close with him back in the day? Was he, uh, you know, some folks, you know, say this this cat's a little crazy? Well, <laughs> what was that like? Not as much as he is now. When you're young, you're eccentric. As you get older, you get crazy. (laughs) (laughs) He wasn't drinking the way he was drinking at the end. He really wasn't. But like Cynthia said, he was eccentric, but not the way he ended up. Again, let's hit on the the photography angle of things for you. You actually uh, are doing that now, and and you're uh, exhibiting a lot of your work, spending some time doing that? I exhibited about four different galleries at one point. And I'm just kind of learning 
at this point, I'm trying some new stuff, trying different cameras, and having a really good time with it. I really, yeah. Was that something so, uh, that you you always had a, a love for photography, or is that something you just kind of discovered in the last few years or whatever? About 20 years ago, 15 years ago, you know, I, I lose track of time. <laughs> uh, I really started to feel that, you know, something, I think I could really be a good photographer. I went on a trip with some people, and I started to just mess around. And I looked at some of the stuff, and I said, you know, this stuff maybe isn't bad. So I wanted to get an opinion. And we're friendly with a guy named David Kennerly. Do you know the name? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, David was uh, uh, Ford's president, Ford's photographer, right. Pulitzer Prize winning Vietnam photographer. Mm-hmm. So I showed him some of my work, and he thought it was really good. And mm-hmm. I said, well, if he thinks it's good, I think I'm, you know, I'm going to try to pursue this a little bit more seriously. And Cynthia, you're an author. I loved writing the book that I wrote. I have to figure out what I want to do next. Ah, there you go. You know, you guys have been together since, you know, 61. I mean, it, it, I mean, it's one thing to just have your marriage last that long, but then again to be partners in work. How do you keep it going? That I think the music was like the glue to our marriage. Mm-hmm. Besides other stuff, we're friends. We have the same sense of humor. Not the same, but we have, both have a sense of humor. We make each other laugh. But again, the glue, I think, was uh, our uh, creativeness. Cynthia, I guess that begs the question. Have you ever had a time when maybe it was an evening after an earlier argument in the day and you have to write some lyrics in your hand and you go, here, here's your lyrics. <laughs> you know, sometimes I used to feel that it would be better if he came home to someone who said to him, don't worry about that terrible demo. Everything will be all right instead of me who was saying, what the hell happened? <laughs> yeah, have the meatballs on just Yeah, right. <laughs> of course, you've had a very lucrative amount of success and achievements in your 55-year collaboration and teamwork together, but one of the most successful is simply as parents. Let's talk about that wildly famous daughter of yours. She's great. I mean, you know, she's a, a very successful psychologist, and she had she had a show called uh, Couple Therapy was the original one, and now she has a family therapy. Matter of fact, it was on last night. It's on VH1. Yeah, a reality right. show, mm. and she's uh, uh, she's amazing. She's just an amazing therapist and an amazing human being. Well, you can learn more about all that we've discussed today at man-wild.com. On Twitter, we're just man-wild. What a treat it has been for both of you to share the valuable time with us today. In 1961, brand new companies emerged like Costco, Giorgio of Beverly Hills, Frito-Lay, and Haagen-Dazs. And gratefully, one of the greatest ever collaborations came together that was Barry Mann and Cynthia Weil. Not only a phenomenal music success, but a marriage that will reach 55 years this coming October. And we so thank you for your valuable time and graciousness in speaking with our audience today. Thank you for your brilliance and all the happiness and joy you've shared over these many years. Well, great. Thank it, you, guys. It was a fun, really fun interview. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you, guys. And we hope that you'll join us again the next time we get together in the Legend Spotlight as we shine upon those musical entities that change the face of music. Right here on WLCS Classic Hits 98.3 and streaming live at 983WLCS.com. I just can't help believing when she smiles up soft and gentle. With a trace of misty morning And a promise of tomorrow in her eyes Darling, bless you Bless every breath that you take Yeah, bless every move that you make So perfectly And bless your little
You're my reason. 